This morning we'll be back in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 18 through 50. Before we turn to our passage this morning, uh, I have a question for you boys and girls and adults. Have you ever played Follow the Leader? Hmm. <laughs> I think probably every one of us have played Follow the Leader, if we don't call it that. We've probably played that game, right? Um, if you haven't played the game, Follow the Leader is you choose someone to be a leader, like me, like I'd be up front, and the leader starts to do something, like maybe jumping jacks or something like that, and everybody else does the same thing, and you follow what the leader does. So when you play Follow the Leader, you might expect the leader to do some funny things, right? To try to get you to do funny things, right? You, they might make funny faces or uh, make funny noises or do something like that, and that you would do funny things as well. And, you know, then the funnier the better, right? I mean, it gets really funny with it. If everybody starts laughing together and thinking this is a lot of fun and very, very funny. But sometimes maybe you're, the leader does something really strange or weird and you're kind of like, well, I don't know, that's, that's weird. But you do it because everybody else is doing it, right? You fall, you're playing follow the leader. And so you are enjoying what everybody else is doing, having a good time together. Have you ever thought about that living the Christian life, being the disciple of Jesus is like follow the leader. Now, remember, it's not what it means to be a Christian. I'm talking about living the Christian life. To be a Christian, the Bible is quite clear. It's that we believe in Jesus, that he is God's son who lived, died, and rose again for our salvation. That's what it means to be a Christian. But to live as a Christian being a disciple of Jesus is following him, following his example, following his teaching. And this morning, we're going to read a very long passage of Scripture that's about being a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Now, it may seem at first like these are a bunch of little short stories that are all kind of back to back to one another, and they are about different things. But the apostle, or, or not the apostle, Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts these short stories into one section for us to understand what Jesus is telling his disciples then and his disciples today, us, what it means to follow him. So let's read Luke 9, 18 through 50. Now it happened that he was praying alone, that's Jesus, and the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world 
and loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, about eight days later, after saying, after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And he was praying, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw this glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice out of the cloud came saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what had, they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I beg your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him on the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. And while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying and it was concealed from them so that they may not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about the saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone coming, casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow, us, follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we pray you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what Jesus is not only telling us, but showing us what it means to be his disciple, what it means to follow him, what it means to live the Christian life. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So two weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, what's known as the feeding of the 5,000. You know, and Jesus, we saw, tells the 12, right, the, the 12 disciples, not the large group, but the 12 who would become apostles, to give the crowd of more than 5,000 food. He said, you feed them. And remember, they said to Jesus, we have five loaves and two fish. Or we could go and buy stuff, but we have to travel to go buy it, and it costs a lot of money, money that we don't have. How can we do this? They have these reasons why they can't accomplish what Jesus asked. And we ask the question, do we, like the disciples, wonder where the ability to do what Jesus has asked will come from, right? Jesus tells the disciples that they should be the ones to do this and that they don't see where this ability is going to come from. And we ask ourselves, do we wonder where the ability to do what Jesus has asked will come from? We saw in the text that because Jesus provides, we continue with confidence. We continue his mission, and we do it out of abundance, the abundance of what Jesus provides. Right? The answer to the question of how do we do this? How do we do, Jesus, what you've asked us to do? It's out of the abundance that Jesus gives us. And this leads right into our text today, not just chronologically, but in terms of what it means to be a disciple. And while we could spend a lot of time going through each of these sections, because there's a lot here to unpack, there is also something to be said about taking this whole thing, is what theologians call a pericope, and to see what Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to tell us about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I think if we look at this passage in its whole, that we will give us a renewed or a reimagined understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So this passage begins with Peter rightly identifying who Jesus is. Right? He rightly says, you are the Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the chosen one, the one that was promised to come. Peter doesn't quite fully understand yet exactly what that means in its fullness. He has some understanding. He has an understanding of what the, the popular teaching of the day was about what the Messiah, who the Messiah would be and what he would do. And so he sees that in Jesus. Peter confesses, professed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord or Messiah, the chosen one who will bring restoration, hope, and healing. You know, it's interesting that Peter makes this pronouncement, this proclamation, even not fully understanding exactly what he's saying. And just as an aside, I think it's really encouraging and helpful for us to remember that our entire lives, we continue to grow in our understanding of what it means that Jesus is Messiah, that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and that even if we don't fully comprehend and understand, like Peter didn't fully comprehend and understand, we still, by the work of the Holy Spirit, we still by the call of Christ, we still are able to proclaim who Jesus is. As we grow and mature, that understanding grows and changes. 
But as we see, we're in, at the end, towards the end of our passage, that Jesus says that whoever receives this child, that even a young child can understand the, pro, the profession that Peter makes and can grow in knowledge and understanding of that more and more. Now, let's be honest. We, none of us will fully understand what it means that Jesus is Savior and Lord until we stand in glory before the throne. And so Peter makes this, this confession, and Jesus confirms it by saying, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone yet. It's not time. Now, Luke doesn't give us this information, but in Matthew, we find out that when Peter makes this proclamation and Jesus then says that he's going to have to die, Peter doesn't like it. Peter says to Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. <laughs> That's not the Messiah that I know. That's not the Messiah that I just confessed to you and professed you to be. And then Jesus says to Peter, seeing that basically Peter is doing the work of Satan, get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about, of what it meant to be the Messiah. And even though Peter made a profession, he still didn't fully understand what it meant. And like Peter, I think a lot of us want Jesus without the cross. You see, the reason that Jesus told, or Peter told Jesus that he was wrong is because Peter couldn't comprehend a suffering servant, a suffering Messiah. In Peter's mind, it was all victory, all glorious, all a celebration, a party. We want Jesus without the cross. Now, I don't mean that we don't want the cross at all. We want the cross that Jesus died on to take away the sin of the world, to cleanse you and me from all unrighteousness, to pay the price for our sin. We want that cross. We want Jesus who died for me, and we should. But what I mean by we want Jesus without the cross is that we want the Jesus that Peter wanted. All victory, no suffering. Sure, we are alive because of the victory of Jesus over Satan, sin, and death. We want, we have this idea some, in some parts of Christianity, and even maybe ourselves from time to time, we kind of buy this idea that we can live the victorious life, whatever that means. We might think, in fact, that we deserve to live in victory, and a lot of Christianity uses this lens of victory only to look through for how we are to live as followers of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that victory isn't an aspect of our life in Christ. We have received victory that Jesus has won on our behalf. We have been told that we have victory in Christ over Satan, sin, and death. But victory is not the image that Jesus gives us of what it means to follow him. We 
have this idea sometimes of what discipleship looks like. And it has very little resemblance to how Jesus describes discipleship. And what we see in our text today is that because Jesus is the Christ of the cross, we bear the cross of discipleship. Because Jesus is the Christ of the cross, we bear the cross of discipleship. And that cross, we see it in three ways that we bear that. In proclaiming, which we've talked about previously. Providing, which we've talked about previously, but we see it in our text again today. And then serving suffering. First, in proclaiming in verses 18 through 20 and then 28 through 36. We've already discussed Peter's uh, confession of who Jesus was, and yet he still doesn't fully understand it. He doesn't fully understand the salvation that Jesus is bringing. That he is the one who will take away the sin of the world, and he will do it by sacrificing himself by dying for the sins of the world. So we proclaim this one who has given himself, who has sacrificed himself, who has gone to the cross on our behalf. And we proclaim this one, this suffering servant who will gain victory over the grave. We, we proclaim him and we do it not because of merely what people, the disciples have said, but because God himself tells us who Jesus is. We see in the transfiguration in verses 28 through 36 that this, that Peter and James and John are, they see revelation of who Jesus is, right? God the Father proclaims over his son as he did at his baptism. And now once again, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. How can the promised one, the recently confessed or professed Messiah by Peter possibly accomplish God's will and be rejected? How can this happen? Is he not to be a glorious, victorious figure? Is he not to bring deliverance? The disciples fail to grasp the answers to these questions. And God the Father understands that they are failing to grasp this because they are not listening to Jesus. They are not listening to what he is saying about himself. They realize that the key to understanding goes beyond just the prophetic teaching category of Jesus. Jesus is not a messenger. He is the message. Right? As we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus is the message, right? The, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ himself embodied and was preaching the message that something in time and space has happened in Jesus Christ. That is the message. Jesus is the message. Yes, we are to teach doctrine in the church and teach each other how, what, you know, what we believe and understand, but the message that we proclaim is first and foremost about Jesus God's son, the God-man, 
He is the message that we proclaim as his disciples. Well, it's not just that we proclaim, we also provide. We saw this two weeks ago. That Jesus calls his disciples to provide for the needs of others. And that Jesus is the one who provides what we need in order to fulfill the call that he has placed on us and what he has called us to do in his name. And what's interesting, we see in our text in verses 37 through 34, the disciples are once again confronted with a need that they have been asked to fulfill. And what's, what's so interesting this time is that, you know, when it was feeding 5,000 people, they're like, hey, Jesus, this is an impossible task. I don't know how you're going to. But when the man with his son who has his demon possessed comes to him, they're like, oh, yeah, we got this. We got this. And they find out that they can't do it. Now, they were able to do that just a few verses before when Jesus sent out the 12. But how did, were they sent out? Jesus gave them the power and authority that they needed. Jesus gave them what they needed to perform the task, to perform the mission that he sent them on. And in this situation, they've forgotten. <laughs> right? And we know that they've forgotten because the way Jesus responds to them, you know, some, some commentators say that when Jesus comes off the mountain, he's actually talking to the crowd where when, when he calls them a faithless and twisted generation. In the context of this whole passage, he is certainly not talking to the crowd. He is talking to his disciples. <laughs> They're the ones who are faithless, who have forgotten who provides for their need to do what he has called them to do. Jesus is the one who casts out evil. And even as he's called us to that work, that mission, he's the one who provides Jesus calls us to provide for those in need in his name. The church of Christ is to carry on the ministry of Jesus by providing for those in need, not in our own strength and power, but by the strength and the power of Jesus. The abundance that Jesus gives is for his church to continue providing in his name. Well, we don't just proclaim and provide. Jesus also says that we are to follow him in his suffering as a servant. Verses 21 through 27 and 44 through 50. As we've said, the disciples think that the kingdom means immediate victory. But Jesus sees that they are still not understanding what it means to be a follower of him. And he must show them before the glory comes, the cross and a life of sacrificial service comes. Now think of this. Jesus has told them that he must die, but he's not told them yet how he will die. And so when he says to his disciples, 
pick up your cross daily and follow me. All they have seen to this point are criminals picking up a cross and carrying their cross to where they will be executed. That is the symbol that Jesus is giving to his disciples. We know that crucifixion was the utterly vile death that one could receive. It was the most shameful, humiliating, repulsive fate imaginable. And that's the image that Jesus gives his disciples. I don't blame Peter for telling Jesus that he didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus, what? We got to pick up our cross? The most shameful, humiliating, repulsive fate? That's what you're calling us? That's what you're saying that awaits you? The Christian community is a perpetually dying, yet ever resurrecting community. One that embodies both the principle of a sacrificial death, but also resurrection to new life. You see, the disciples in that moment are receiving this word that you are on a death march (laughs) by picking up your cross daily and following Jesus. But what Jesus does is he transforms that image of the cross from a death march to one of humility and service because on the other side of the cross is resurrection and new life. That even if you pick up your cross daily and it feels like a death march, what awaits you at the end is a resurrection and new life in Christ. And so that truth endures for disciples today that was given to Jesus' first disciples. The cross Jesus bore is the cross the church is to bear. Not the cross of salvation, but the cross of humble, sacrificial, suffering servitude. We are to give ourselves on behalf of sinners in need of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to give ourselves to those who are in need of hope and healing in the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. Ministry, the work of the church, is not one of power and privilege, but of humility and service. And that is what the world sees and knows that it's something different. Evan and Holly Shaw were here this week. By God's providence, they were coming back this weekend for Evan's sister's wedding, so they were able to participate in our prayer night with us. And I shared this morning that as we prepare to possibly go on this short-term mission trip with Evan and Holly to help them begin this work in Warm Springs, they shared that this summer they've, they've 
been doing work in Warm Springs out of Yakima, out of Sacred Road Ministries there in Warm Springs. The Warm Springs knows them and knows the ministry. And this summer they were there uh, providing some services. And one of the women who has a leadership position in the tribe there was talking to them one afternoon after they had worked and done their service opportunities. And she said to them, why is there not a church like this in Warm Springs? Why is there not a church like the one in Yakima that comes and serves and suffers to a certain point with us? Why is there not a church like that here? Our hope is that there will one day be a church like that in Warm Springs. But that is what the church of Jesus Christ is to embody a sacrificial servanthood even to the point of suffering for the sake of others. And the essence, Jesus says, of discipleship here at the end of our passage is humility before God. That humility expresses itself in self-denial then not just in taking up the cross daily, but understanding that we are not to be seeking our, to be great. That Jesus is great. And all that we do is to point to him. That John, who's mentioned here um, in both both of these arguments about who is the greatest. And Jesus, we saw someone else casting out demons in your name, but they're not a part of us. So we told them to stop. This John who makes these pronouncements, this one who's so zealous to, for the purity, so to speak, of the church, will become known as the apostle of love. The one who wrote the gospel of John. First and second and third John, where his repeated call to the church, who wrote Revelation, his repeated call to the church is to love Christ and to love one another and to submit and sacrifice to one another for the sake of the gospel. This is the call for Christ's church. Brothers and sisters, we are called to search our hearts in light of all that we have seen in the gospel of Luke so far and in our passage today. Who do you say I am? And if we profess, like Peter, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, then have we taken the responsibility, have we taken the call of discipleship seriously? in laying down our lives, picking up our cross daily and following him. Right, Jesus says that if we seek to gain our lives, we will lose it. But if we give our lives up, in that we actually find life. This is the call of the disciples of Jesus Christ, his church. May it be for us by the work and power of the Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
and praise you for your word, your word made flesh, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he is the one who bore the weight of the cross of salvation for us. And Lord, calls us to carry the cross of discipleship, knowing the hope and victory of resurrection lies at the end of carrying that cross. Lord, help us. You have said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Help us to walk carrying the cross each and every day, humble discipleship, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, providing for those in need, and even serving and suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.